Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Why don't we open up our scriptures to Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 38. Very, very famous verses. We know this story well, the story of Mary and Martha, and we're going to dive into this tonight, and God's going to meet us in a profound way. You guys ready? Do you love your Bibles? You got your scriptures ready? I hope you like a physical copy. Maybe that's just me who's old school, uh, history in the Word of God, guys. This is Jesus himself in written form. Oh, man, we need to fall in love with this. Verse 38. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, You are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Verse 38, we're going to start there, we're going to dive in here. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Wise men travel. Wise men travel. He was in a certain village and a certain woman welcomed him into her house. Jesus is everywhere and yet he is somewhere specific. And I think this is the key of hungry hearts that want more of Jesus is that they recognize at times although he's everywhere and he loves everyone and he's at every church uh, in, in Melbourne tonight. He's also at a certain village in a certain town and he wants to go to a certain house. And if he is in a certain village, in a certain town, and he's at a certain house, then my responsibility is to find out where that is and to humble myself and to go where he is. If in his vulnerability and his intimacy, he is making himself known somewhere, then you have to be willing to pack up all of your belongings, sell everything that you have, and pursue him because you're in love with him. We're just going to get started tonight. This is okay. Wise men travel. It's this the most humble posture to go, I need something I don't have. That is the most humble way that we can approach Jesus. I need what you have, and I realize I don't have it, and I'm going to do whatever is required to put myself in a place to receive from you. Jesus was somewhere. He was in a certain place at a certain time, and Martha welcomed him into her house. He is everywhere, and yet he still is in certain places at certain times. I think Martha honestly gets a bad rap 
guys alive? You okay? <laughs> it's like dead silence. It's okay. <laughs> Martha gets a bad rap at times. Obviously, we're going we're gonna to say the other side of the tension as we continue on. But Jesus came to Martha's house. He came to Martha and Mary's house, but he came at the request of Martha. Martha wanted Jesus. Martha went to Jesus and said, I need you to come where I, I need you to come where I am. Come to my house. Jesus responded to Martha, recognized her hunger and her passion, didn't respond to Mary according to the scripture, responded to the welcome of Martha. Oh, we can start out crying for revival, longing for the Lord to visit our house. And he can even respond. Jesus responded to Martha's cry and came and had fellowship in her house. The Christ, the Son of the living God, could have been anywhere and chose that certain village, that certain house, Martha's, in response to her cry and her desire for hungry, for hungry, hungry hearts that want more of Him. Revival cries out for the Lord to come and He will respond and He will visit us. And that's obviously incredibly important. That's the first stage of revival. That's the heart of Martha. But how we respond to Him when He comes is also vitally important. Divorced couples always start in love. They are planning forever. They don't go to the altar with an out clause. Verse 39, if you don't believe me. And also she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Who also, the inference being that Martha was the leader in this sitting at Jesus' feet occupation. She was the one that was showing Mary what to do. The reason Martha invited Jesus to come to the house was so that she could sit at his feet. That was the whole point. She cried out for the Christ to come and he came. Out of love, in a desire for him, he responds to her intimate cry. She invited him to sit at his feet. She didn't have a desire to get too busy. That wasn't why, she, you know, I'm going to invite Jesus to come and he's going to come. It's going to be amazing. And then I'm going to start serving. Guys, you're asking for revival in this house, am I right? You're longing for a move of the Spirit of God. It's amazing that your cry starts out clean and clear because all you want Jesus to do is to come to your house. 100%. You want the Lord to come to your house. That's incredible. That's the starting point. But what do you do when He comes? Oh, we're going to keep drilling here. That terrifies me. It infers that Martha started out next to Mary at the feet of Jesus. But intimacy is current. It's not enough to say the things have changed now. I've matured. I used to be radical, but I grew out of it. Or I can tell love stories 
of the past. Love means He moves your heart now. We don't set out to lose our way. We don't set out to get too busy. We don't set out to get lukewarm. This is not the goal of the heart's cry of revival that longs for Jesus to come to your house. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. But Martha, Martha rather, <laughs> was distracted. To behold him requires a decision. It's actually only worship when you can choose to worship something else. It wouldn't actually be an offering if there wasn't a choice. The lie is that the intimate ones aren't busy. Oh, I've got it so easy. They don't even have to choose him. They just constantly sitting at the feet of Jesus and worshipping when there's just so much work that needs to be done. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could just sit at Jesus' feet and worship him? No, they are making the same decision that you are making. They're just making a different one. It requires a choice to behold the Lamb. You have a decision to look at someone else. And this is where that fragrance of worship begins to be released. You make a decision. I could be distracted by another, but I'm choosing to be distracted by him. The lie is that busyness and significance is the pinnacle of Christian leadership. See, we always want marriage to last forever. We always start out with pure motives. We want Jesus to come. But when he comes, Jesus doesn't come alone. We want the Christ to come to our house. Amazing. You want revival to come. I'm telling you, if revival comes to the degree that I feel that he wants to come in this house, if the Spirit of God comes in this place like a river, if Jesus himself begins to manifest himself in glory, it's not just Jesus who is going to come to your house. It's going to be the same test that Mary and Martha had to pass because they, Martha didn't ask for the dignitaries to come. Martha didn't ask for the religious leaders, the significant ones, the government officials. She didn't ask for any of them to come. They only came because Jesus responded to her request. And so then all of a sudden, she's got a decision to make. I invited the Christ and He's here. But now look at all of these people, these favoured ones, these influential ones. Look now at all the work that has to be done, all the mouths that have to be fed. Could you imagine? Could you imagine what it was like? She's never met any of these leaders before. She doesn't know any of them. She's only moved the heart of the Lord. And then all of a sudden, here they are. Everyone is everyone. The mayor of the city the billionaires, the millionaires, the doorway to her favour, the doorway to her destiny, everything that's in front of her is also available to distract her from the one that she invited in the first place. Oof. 
And then we celebrate that in the church. Woohoo! Look how, look how productive we are. Look how many programs we have. Look at the million things that we do as a church. Wow, haven't we reached the pinnacle of Christian maturity and Christian leadership? Look how much we are doing. We celebrate in the wrong thing. I'm preaching to myself just as much as I'm preaching to you. Hear me. I am busy. I am busy, busy, busy doing the stuff. I get it. And we need to be busy and we should be. We need to be fruit-bearing people. Of course, because Christ has come. He can't help but produce fruit around us. I 100% understand that. But know that there is a posture of the heart. There is a posture of the heart that doesn't long for significance, that doesn't long for influence, but longs for the Christ. Can we remain distracted by Him? Can we remain locked in on His face, locked in on His feet, pouring our love out on Him when it costs us something, when the person that right next to us could well be the doorway to the thing that we've been contending for? Will we choose to be okay with dying to the fear of man so that we can actually host and behold the Lord? Are we willing to lay that down at His feet because we want Jesus to come to our home? I know this is a challenging word. Please don't hear me say, oh man, Ben really thinks that Numa's way off track. No, I do not think that for a second. I am saying this because of how on track you are. You are, you, are, you are crying out for the right things and the Lord is responding. He's coming to your house. I'm saying, guys, you are going to have to pass these tests in the coming days. I've lived it. I've been in a house where the eye of the Lord came on. Oh, you have no idea the cost of that. We would go to church every weekend and there would be people that you know that are famous every single weekend sitting in our church. Why? Because they've heard that God is there. Billionaires, millionaires. We minister to presidents of the United States. We minister to governors. We, they have constant connection with our leaders. Why? Not because we're special, but because Jesus came. Because we had a cry in our heart that says it's revival or it's nothing. And it's revival or it's nothing. That sounds amazing. Preachers amazing. But it's always an opportunity to be a revival in everything. That's the cost of what it is that you're asking for and what God is beginning to release. I'm telling you, Jesus is going to come, but so is everyone else. And I'm not even just talking about the good things. <laughs> Opposition's going to come. Look up. Just type in Bethel Church. Type in Bill Johnson. Serious, I'm seriously, like, it's costly. You have to be willing to be misunderstood forever. Will I be distracted not only by favour, will I be distracted by opposition? Or can I remain distracted by His face? This is what's coming. Oh, I'm inviting you into something because I've seen it. Guys, this is not an exaggeration to say. We went... From a tiny little church in Weaverville. I don't know if you've ever been to Weaverville. You probably haven't. It's like 50 to 100 people there. That's where Bill and Chris and, and Danny and all these guys came from. Absolute middle of nowhere. God put his hand on a company of people that wanted the Lord to such a degree. At one point, maybe not 
right now, but at one point, it's almost not an exaggeration to say, almost every church in the world was singing a Bethel church song on a weekend. That is a massive weight of responsibility. That is incredible amount of influence. But why did it come? I want Jesus. I long for Jesus. I want the Lord. Does now the favour of man corrupt? Oh, maybe I'll write songs a little bit different because now who's singing it? Oh, look how much money comes in when we write a certain amount of songs. Oh, wow, look at this. This is an opportunity for us to get really wealthy. We can build more. We can do more. And then we can start to justify what we do. Call it holy. But we've lost our way because we've lost our distraction. We've lost our posture at His feet, which drew this in the first place. I'm telling you, this is not a game. This is real. If you're asking for the glory of God, with much glory comes much responsibility. And I'm saying this in a weighty, heavy way, kind of on purpose, because I feel what God is doing in your midst. What is coming? I see it. And I choose not to prophesy about it. I've told the team about this already, because I don't want everybody to be lost by what's coming down the pipeline. I could prophesy what's going to happen. It's going to sound amazing. It's incredible what's coming. But man, don't let that distract you. It's only coming because I'm locked in on the face of Jesus. And unless that's our posture, I'm telling you, it will corrupt and destroy you. I know that's an intense thing to say. With much glory comes much responsibility. We have to remain completely unaffected by the opinions of people. And I know that's easy to preach and hard to live. But I'm telling you, this is what's at stake here. Let's turn to Mark chapter 2, 1 verse 5. We're going to read through this. Thank you, Jesus. I need a drink, man. I'm preaching. And again, he entered Capernaum. This is Jesus, obviously. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days. And it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there were no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. There is so much that I could preach from this message. It's just the most amazing passage. First thing I just want to mention. There is a lie in the body of Christ, I believe, that says if I make it more palatable to the people, more people will come. It's a lie, but it's also a truth, and that's what's terrifying to me. Because if you actually make it more seeker-friendly, guess what? You're actually going to get more people that come. But it doesn't guarantee that Jesus will. There is another way. Here, another way to draw such a crowd that nobody could enter into the house. What is that? Hosting Jesus, making it all about Him, making it just simply all about Jesus. Jesus comes in the house. Amazing. I am not wanting to create an environment that people feel amazing in. That's just a byproduct of the Father of love. It's natural for your leaders to love because they have been grafted into the perfect love of the Father. Their job isn't just to shepherd you and comfort you and make you feel all comfortable and nice. I'm telling you, the church is not yours. It is His. 
And so our job as leaders is to create an atmosphere that He wants to fill. I want my priority to be, is Jesus in the house? Do you feel welcome? Is this your home? Did that love song affect you? Did that move you? When I jumped off and out of the boat and went for it, trying to follow your voice, did, was that right? Did I get it? Did I, did I miss it? Did I, did, I, did I nail it? Because if I stop and think about only your opinion and not his I have lost the right to lead you because no longer am I leading you. You are now leading me. I know this is intense. I'm sorry, I do love you. I'm feeling as an Australian, I have the right to be a little bit straight with you because you're an Australian, I'm an Australian. Guys, we're after the same thing. We long for this. But I'm telling you, if you want this house to be full, you don't need to water it down. When they hear that Jesus is in the house, according to this scripture, immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them. Woo! Jesus came to the house. Then not only did Jesus come to the house, people outside the house heard that Jesus was in the house. Oh, pick up your sick, pick up your broken, pick up the paralyzed, bring them. I heard the Lord is in the house over there. People aren't interested or excited in you. I'm so sorry. They love you. I'm sure they do. They need Jesus. The people are wanting to come to church to meet with the King. Oh, there's a King that heals and He's right there in that building. Let's do whatever we can to get there. If they're relying on me, relying on this leadership team to be an answer, God, they can't handle the weight of that. No Christian leader can handle the weight of human expectation. Only Jesus can handle that. Let's make room for Jesus so that we have to do less work and let Jesus do the work that he's so amazing at. Woo, man, I'm feeling the Lord right now. I'm excited. Hallelujah. Then they came to him. Oh, then they came to him. Bring a paralytic who is carried by four men. When they could not come near him because of the crowd. Oh, isn't that good news? Oh, I want revival. Do you want revival? You sure? You might not be able to get in this house I'm serious I've been there this is not a joke to me I'm coming from a place of authority that has lived this out there are times you do not get in the house I'm a staff member I'm a preacher on the pulpit there are times there's not enough room for me why because Jesus is in the house and the people want him will that offend me do they know who I am Right? Do they know who I am? I'm Ben Wilson. I'm a preacher. They know I preach consistently. I'm anointed. I'm powerful. Right? I'm just joking. I, I am anointed and powerful, but and I do preach. <laughs> but right, it's, I'm, I'm making a mock. I'm making a point to show you there might come a time that you lose your special little spot there on the front row. You might lose your spot. You might not have a parking spot anymore. You might not have time to get your coffee on the way in anymore. You might have a line up of hundreds or thousands of people down the road wanting to get into your church. Do you know, I've been here for 10 years, 15 years. People just think they could just come in and take my spot. I, I, was, I was here in the beginning. I was here before Corey was here. I'm being real with you guys tonight. Wow. This is it. 
This is, this is what's coming down the pipeline. Hallelujah. When they could not come near him because of the crowd, they didn't get offended. They didn't go home justifiably frustrated, bitter, building a case against Jesus. He could have. <laughs> Isn't Jesus the one who heals the sick? I thought... If I just came to this location, I came to a certain village or came to a certain place or came to the right house who he was here. Surely if he's the son of the living God, he's going to know that I'm here. He's going to get his way through all of those religious people that are in the house that I should be in. And he's going to make his way to me. Surely he's going to heal me. He's Christ the healer. He's the saviour. He's the Messiah. And he couldn't even come and meet with me. I'm going to go home. And I'm going to be justifiably frustrated because Jesus was the Savior and people did get in my way and I could easily build a case against them and I could be oh so right and yet oh so wrong all at the same time. Ooh. They made a decision. I have to get to Jesus and it doesn't matter how I need to get to Jesus, I'm getting to Jesus. I am going to go, okay, yeah, I could be offended and frustrated and go home. My four friends had to carry me across the city. That's a pretty big sacrifice. No, no, now I want you friends to lift me up on the roof. <laughs> Have you ever tried to lift the weight of a dead man? It's actually not that easy. A paralyzed person. Lift it up on the roof. Man, the hunger and the persistence of that man. Ripped open a portal of heaven in the roof because they knew that they had to get where Jesus was. But you know what terrifies me? Lots of things terrify me. But I'll tell you, this one terrifies me a lot. As a pastor that's been in BSSM, I, I, I'm not exaggerating to say this. I mean, I've been in a lot of, of ministries, a lot of schools. I, I preach in schools all over the world. And there are just a plethora of just absolutely incredible things that the Lord is doing all over the earth. But maybe it's slightly biased. Hopefully it isn't. But what God is doing in BSSM, guys, it is unbelievable. What God is doing and has done and continues to do in that house is extraordinary. It literally changed my entire life, my family's life. It changed the face of the earth in some ways, the face of the church at least, in our stream, right? I'm like, this is phenomenal. But I'm telling you, I've sat next to people as students that were in the same room that I was in, experiencing the same things that I was experiencing that walked away from the Lord. Oh, I can tell you some stories. People that were in the literal manifest glory of God, the same glory of God that I was in when the glory cloud was beginning to show up. I was there. That was the first month that we were at Bethel. Every, every week. Oh my God, will that mess your mind up completely? Just to throw in some controversy there right at the beginning. I, I was confused. And if I wasn't there, I don't know if I would have believed it, right? It's a sign that makes you wonder. It's too big for your ability to comprehend. But I'm in the tangible, physical glory of God that you can feel, taste, see, touch. And I'm standing next to people that I now know are practicing homosexuals that have walked away from the Lord, that are they're practicing atheists, people that hate the church. I'm telling you, I've been a pastor in that environment for now 10 years, nine years in the on-campus school, 
first year and second year. I've pastored so many amazing people and I've created an amazing environment where people can thrive in. But people do well and people don't. It's not the environment that determines if you do well or not. There's one man who couldn't reach Jesus and there was a multitude, according to this passage, that were within arm's reach of him. Proximity to Jesus is not enough. It's not. I'm telling you, you could be in the same room, in the same environment, and the way that you posture your heart will determine what you get out of it. Paralyzed man who was rejected and couldn't even get in the room refused to stop. Oh, I'm getting to the Lord. I'm finding my way to Him. Whatever the cost, I'm getting to Jesus. I'm ripping the roof open if needed. I'm getting to Him. Woohoo, I'm hungry. I know who He is. Nothing's gonna stop me. I'm telling you, if you have a posture like that, a heart like that, I guarantee you will get the nutrients out of every moment in God. But if you come in with a jaded heart, you're critiquing or you're figuring out whether you like this or whether you don't, I'm okay, go on your journey. That's, that's fine. I'm just telling you, if you go on that journey, just be careful. Because if you start looking at negatives, 100% guarantee you'll find them. Welcome to church. If you want to find negatives in your leaders, I promise you, you can see them because they're humans. They are frail. They are not perfect. There is only one perfect leader. It's Jesus. But what's terrifying to me is that we can build a case against them and not understand that we are partnering with the demonic realm that is actually taking away what it is that Jesus has available for us. Oh, yeah, but I'm justified. Yes, you are. You're justified. And that's the terrifying thing. You can build a case that is right, but you're missing out on the very thing that God has for you. Oh, there's a lot up for, up, up for grabs in these moments in God. Oh, man, I'm preaching. Help me, Lord. I hope you guys don't feel like I'm attacking you. Guys, offense, O-F-F-E-N-S-E, offense is a fence that you build brick by brick with the devil. Oh, he loves that fence. <laughs> he loves it. Oh, let me partner with that. I'll put a brick next to yours. That's amazing. You're offended? Oh, I know. That leader was so, so, so mean, weren't they? Yeah, let me build. Let me build with you. That's an amazing fence. You are so right in building that fence. What you are doing inside of your offense is you are literally building around you a limitation <laughs> where God is now no longer allowed to invade. You are separating yourself from the very thing that you want by building a case against the very thing that you need. And I'm preaching at myself as much as I'm preaching at you. I'm telling you, there is so much that is going on in the spirit realm in every meeting. We can't see it. Oh, that song's going too long. 
And it's not just that the song's going too long. The enemy is trying to whirl around your head to miss out on the ability to minister to the Lord. Oh, I don't like that, worship leader. Well, why don't you do what you're called to do and minister to the Lord as a Levite? Just break open your heart before the Lord. It doesn't matter if the worship leader comes in the package you like or not. Oh, man. Gosh, I've really stumbled into it, haven't I? <laughs> Hallelujah. The parable of the sower, guys, is terrifying to me. Oh, I don't like that preach. I don't like Ben. Ben's yelling at me. I get it. I don't like me yelling at you either. I'd much rather be Bill Johnson. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Let me talk in just dulcet tones and wow you with the depths of my revelation for the next two hours while you weep and write down one line after one line after one line. I would much rather do that, but God hasn't called me to do that. I could change the way I'm wired to make you feel comfortable and like me, or I could step into my authority and be fully who I'm called to be. I'm telling you, the parable of the sower says it's actually not the responsibility of the sower Woo, you want to see a 30 and a 60 and 100-fold return in your life? It is actually the condition of the soil that determines whether you will see a 30 and a 60 and 100-fold return. I'm telling you, every seed that's being released from a package that you don't like or a minister that you don't like or a worship leader that you don't like has the ability to have 30, 60 and 100-fold return. It does. It's do I create the conditions for that seed to prosper? Can I recognize God in a package that I don't like? Can I cultivate the ground so that that thing has a chance to bear fruit? Am I saying that leaders can just do whatever they want? Please don't hear me say that. Of course. If there's misuse or, or, or people are partnering with the enemy, then they need to be confronted and challenged and corrected. Of course. Please don't hear me say that. If you've come from abuse or you've come from a, a culture where you, you were yelled at, please don't hear me say that we can just yell at you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there is an invitation for more if you can lift up your eyes to see what's available. James 3, verse 14 to 16. We're going there, guys. Hallelujah. It's going to get better, I promise. This is really important. If you want revival in your church, I'm telling you, these, these are massive keys. Absolutely massive. James 3, verse 14 to 16 says, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Oh, that's, that's a sobering verse. The scripture is saying here that there is a wisdom a wisdom that is available to you where you are right and you are wrong. You can be wise. You can build a case against something and be very wise and actually attract a crew around you that agrees with you. Uh, yeah, we're right. We are so frustrated. We're so jaded. We're so, why aren't we, why aren't we doing whatever it is that you want people to do? <laughs> What you don't understand is that you can be wise and actually not act, actually receiving the wisdom that is available through the Holy Spirit. It's earthly, it's sensual and demonic. In fact, every evil thing 
is available for you when you're right and when you're wrong. Is this making sense? Oh, that, that really scares me because I know I'm very capable of that. We're all very capable of that. Building a case against something and being right and being wrong. I don't want to be on a mat like a paralytic man and build a case against the Lord and walk away from Jesus and misunderstand who he was and even miss out on my breakthrough that was available because I had to choose to not partner with offense and actually choose to be hungry enough to push over any fence that's in front of me to get to the Lord. These are the ones that are going to change the course of human history. And I believe I'm preaching to those right now. Don't be wise. That's a weird thing to say as a preacher. Don't be wise like this. What does wisdom look like? What does true wisdom look like? It's recognizing the Lord in a package that maybe is offensive to you. Surrender attracts the Lord, but it also prepares us for when he comes. Martha was distracted with much serving. She approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Do you not care? Rather than, how can I care for your needs, Lord? Do you not care about my needs, Lord? My sister has left me to serve alone. That's true. That's a wisdom that's available in that moment. But there was a higher wisdom that was available to her. And that is, even in the proclamation that my sister has left me to serve alone, she needed to see the other side of the coin. It actually wasn't her sister that left her because she started next to Mary. Actually, the only person who left anyone was Martha. She made a decision based on the needs of the people and built a fence in her heart towards adoration, towards the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. And she was right, and yet she was so wrong. She left the side of Mary to serve the people. But Jesus, in his intimacy and kindness, and goodness invites, not commands, an intimate response. You either say yes to the invitation or you don't. <laughs> That's what's so confusing. It would be so much easier, right? How many of you in your Christian walk find it so much easier when Jesus just tells you what to do? Do that. Go there. Oh, yeah, I'll give everything. I'll, I'll yield. I'll surrender everything that I have because Jesus has told me to. It's, it's another when he leaves us with an opportunity to make a decision. And that's where the fragrance starts coming out of your life because you are choosing to do it. Jesus is looking for love. And he's looking for lovers that will actually choose and make a decision to love on him. Oh, this is good. Thank you, God. 
Jesus answered and said to him, Martha, Martha, <laughs> you are worried and troubled about many things. That word, that word worry there actually means to divide into many separate parts. I find that absolutely intriguing based on what he says in verse 42. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. The inference from the Lord is that intimacy and singleness of devotion is a choice and it's not taken, but it's given away. It was a choice. Mary has chosen the better part and it will not be taken away from her. The only way that Mary will lose this posture is if she gives it away. The only reason, Martha, you left the opportunity to be at my feet, it wasn't taken away from you. You gave that away. Jesus is kind. He's gentle. He's intimate. He's full of love. And he wants you. He longs for you. He desires you. The simplicity of devotion. But the phrase that haunts me out of this entire passage, and we're going to wrap this up in a minute, it challenges me, it provokes me. Like few others in the entire scripture, it's offensive to me. It challenges me. The words of Jesus, but one thing is needed. How can one thing be needed? How, how can it be that simple? Our mind goes to, yeah, but what about the million other things that we need to do? But the problem is, that's not the words of Jesus. He's saying something is available here that we just don't understand. There's something available at my feet that you, you just don't get. Something happens to you. The transformation happens in you. The breakthrough that you need happens at his feet. Huh. All of the things that you're asking for, all the transformation, it happens by losing yourself in adoration to the needs of Jesus. That's what haunts me the most in that passage is that Jesus is saying, I need it. Oh. We have an opportunity to tend to his needs and yet all we do so consistently is choose our own. Over and over and over and over again, he makes himself vulnerable sitting in the corner in a room full of dignitaries and important people. Saying, will anybody care about me? What about my bank account, Lord? What about my needs? What about what well, I need to feed my family? Yeah, but what about, what about mine? Oh, the intimacy, the vulnerability of a king that will allow himself to be affected by me. That somehow you and I get the opportunity to come before the Lord, break open our life and affect him. One thing is needed. How can I learn, Jesus, to tend to your needs what does this look like? Jesus, what do you enjoy 
How can it be less about my needs? Help me. Help me to know how to tend to yours. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.